0: It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses.
1: Element. Element. Element
0: FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. 106.5 in Toronto. 95.7 in Ottawa. And it is a pleasure to now talk about on the program the third and final season of Tribal Police Files. It's going to be premiering on ABTN on January 3rd. Now, this is the highly anticipated season that takes place in the Satina Nation and features dedicated police members from the community. And we're very grateful to have uh, the Chief of Police with us here, Keith Blake, on the show to talk about that as well as uh, one of the uh, co-producers and co-directors. We have Steve Sweetalt with us, and he's going to be telling us more about this season as well. So it's a pleasure to welcome both these gentlemen to the show. Steve and Keith, welcome. Thanks so much, David. Yes, it's a a great pleasure to have you both here to talk about this. Now, uh, before we get into this season, Steve, I'm wondering if you can tell us it's the final season. Why is it the final season for Tribal Police Files?
2: Well, when we pitched this initial season, uh, we had... uh, we had a notion that it may be our final, but it wasn't until we actually got towards uh, closer towards production or principal photography that we were made aware that it is the final season. And it was simply a broadcaster decision. Mm. Um, it was something that uh, they felt had kind of run the line and uh, in reference to the broadcaster. So uh, you know, three seasons is a good span of seven years uh, in this series. So uh, for me, that's a great run. And uh, you know, obviously super appreciative for, uh, for all of those... Uh, Uh, police services that we represented Mm. uh, through season one, right through to three. So it's, it's been
0: great. Right. And does this mean then that you maybe got something else to your sleeve as well that you're looking forward to in the future?
2: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I was uh, greenlit for a new TV show starting uh, next May. So uh, we're in pre-production. It's going to be shot here in British Columbia called Ocean Warriors. And we'll be focusing on indigenous mariners who uh, work alongside the regular Coast Guard. And uh, they run up and down BC's coast, and so we'll be highlighting their communities and uh, those people that are training them as we speak uh, to uh, be mission ready, to be able to respond to uh, any kind of incidents that happen on the water at any time. So uh, mm. really proud to be bringing that to, uh, to television.
0: Great. That sounds like uh, something we should talk about in the future, maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, getting back to this season, uh, Tribal Police Files, this particular third and final season, the Tsutena Nation and the Chief of Police here, Keith Blake, is with us. So it's a pleasure to have uh, you, Chief, uh, with us here today. And I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to uh, join us on the show. Well, thanks, David. I I really appreciate the opportunity, and I know our staff members do as well. Thank you. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned staff because, uh, of course, th- this this season you're going to be actually featuring uh, some of the members of the police force from your community in the show and uh, you know, as I was thinking about that, because this is a documentary series um, and it focuses with real situations, they're doing their jobs. It's a hard enough job, I imagine, in many situations as it is. What was it like to talk to your force about saying, okay, we're going to be bringing cameras in, guys. We're going to be following you guys around and, and capturing this stuff as it happens. Was that at all a concern with any of the members?
3: Well, I'm, I certainly can't speak on on behalf of all of them, but I think there was a, a really strong desire to have what they do documented. Mm. And, uh, you know, our officers are used to being on camera. We have body-worn cameras, have so for a number of years now. So this isn't something that's new to them, but I think what was hopefully going to happen, and and I'm sure in seeing some of the cuts already, is that it it shows the true realities of policing in a First Nation community. It shows the difficult job that uh, the officers have and our staff, because it's not merely the frontline officers that are showcased in in the series, it's also the support uh, characters and our staff members that uh, support the work that's being done every day. So, uh, I think there was overall uh, an absolute desire to to have this uh, undertaken, Mm -hmm. and we were really looking forward to to capturing what we're doing each and every day because I think if you're looking at First Nation policing it is different and I think uh, our communities are thankful that it is different obviously policing has come under a microscope uh, significantly over the last two years so it's nice to have perhaps a different narrative that's out there for for community members and the public to see.
0: Right. I'm glad you mentioned that. You did mention that right off the top about the staff because uh, when we think about these kind of shows, we think about um, following the police officers out, you know, in their cars, going out to different situations. But you're right. It, it comes back to to the the buildings and the staff that are also taking care of, of uh, some of the people that are being brought, brought in. They're the people that are actually the first ones to hear about certain situations. They're sort of like unsung heroes, aren't they, in many ways? They are, and uh, they're, they're certainly not unsung heroes to our staff because everyone's aware of them being the backbone
3: of yeah. this organization. Yeah. But certainly those that don't have a, a true understanding about policing and mm. all the things that go within it, maybe it will give them a new perspective of, of the cast of characters that support uh, the public safety each and every day in our communities. All
0: right, uh, uh, Chief, were you aware of uh, Steve and this program prior to it coming to your community? Yeah, the fortunate thing is, is uh, as a as a community, the self
3: administered First Nation police services across the country, thirty six of us, um, we we meet regularly, and we're also very aware of the series, uh, the previous two seasons um, that Steve undertook with um, with Statlium and and Rama Police, hmm. and so we had a really good understanding, and Steve had actually uh, come to many of these meetings in order to kind of give it a, an idea of what was available to different police services and how we could showcase the remarkable work of our men and women doing this job, so I was certainly aware of Steve. We've had a lot of discussions previously about this, and the planets aligned and the stars aligned, and and we were fortunate enough to be
0: showcased in the third season. Okay, great. Now, Steve, coming back to you, not only are you First Nation yourself, but you are also a former police officer. That in itself is really interesting about how you made this transition from the police f- work that you were doing. Into a line of work that you're behind the camera and and following other police officers around. How did that happen?
2: Uh, it wasn't really an easy transition. It was something that I had been thinking about for some time, and it was actually way back uh, to the time that I was uh, policing in Stateline. And uh, to try to make a long story short, we had uh, there was an opportunity to keynote in uh, in the, the village of Lillowet that they were looking for somebody to post a radio show and it was a community radio station. So of course, being on my own and single and just really looking for something else to do outside of police work, I decided to uh, to acquire. And of course, I, w- I managed to get a piece. So I worked on Thursday nights from 4.30 to 8.30 My my own radio show. So I I bought the province newspaper and the People magazine and brought my CDs in and uh, and just kind of winged it. And uh, it wasn't long before I actually had a following <laughs> and people were kind of wondering like, who is this guy? So <laughs> it, it was really a lot of fun and that was really my first exposure and I decided from then on, I th- you know, I think I might have something here. So I'll just kind of put it in my back pocket, see where it leads and, you know, eventually I'm making a super long story short, but you know, from going into school and taking part-time courses, and, you know, PCIT, broadcast journalism, mm. and deciding to commit to the two-year course back in 2005 to seven. And, uh, you know, I, I eventually read the news for a number of years. But, yeah, it was a slow transition, but, you know, there was a lot of similarities in both of the, uh, you know, journalism and policing We seemed seem to show up at the same sites for, for calls and whatnot. So there was, there was an understanding on my end of what was involved in that. And it's something that I really enjoy. And, I'm you know, I love telling stories. So that was and especially indigenous stories
0: mm. and uh, you know from a policing perspective as well i think um the narrative of
2: what first nations police officers do and are seen by community members was a little bit skewed so it was important for me to when we prepared this first pitch that mm. it was understood that we were there as uh, as a company that was prepared to uh, promote uh positive policing within the first nation communities and what we have to endure and uh, and uh, as you know, as Keith knows, for all his years of experience, it, it, it's very, very challenging. It's not easy mm. and uh, we take on a lot of people's problems. And uh, I just wanted to show the positive side of policing. And I think uh, through the three uh, services that we, we approached and and worked in uh, have, have truly done that. So it, it's been a long transition. It's probably been, you know, from the start from my shift was probably about two, three years for it to, to fully get into to mm. producing away
0: mm. from policing. Well, you got the bug. You got bitten by the bug of uh television and radio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, certainly. That's, that's that's great. I appreciate you you sharing that. Um sure. uh, uh, Chief Blake, I want to come back to you for a moment because Uh, You know, as someone that that worked uh, on the the television side, going into communities uh, as a journalist, um, certainly going into First Nation communities, I know the, the, the worst thing that I could do, at least when I initially started this, was put the camera on my shoulder and start filming. That's not how you approach First Nation communities. So I I wanted to ask you about the relationship between Steve and yourself. The fact that Steve is one First Nation. The fact that he worked in the police force. How much of of an effect was that in terms of making this as an easy process for you to to say yes to this?
3: Well it it, it really was a process. I think uh, we started out with discussions and Steve came and and saw the community met with our, our officers and staff and then it was about messaging to the nation's leadership about mm. the opportunity that presented itself and then engaging our community i think one of the most unfortunate things that occurred is the pandemic mm. which how we were going to approach this and the engagement we had with the community could not be done in the way that we had initially anticipated uh, we just couldn't get into the groups and of course uh there was almost a lockdown for certain periods of time pre-filming and during filming mm. so it really created challenges that weren't anticipated and we hadn't uh, Really thought through because it was a very much a, f- a fluid situation. But ultimately, I think uh, that the, the community knows the series, they mm-hmm. understood uh, what was to be portrayed. And I think there was a comfort level there based on that. And you're right, I think when when you bring in people that have experiences both within First Nations and First Nation policing, uh, it it goes a long ways to to create the trust that's needed. Uh, But let's be honest, when you're looking at cameras, not everybody wants to be on a camera. Uh, maybe their their worst day of their life so Mm, those are always mm. the things that uh, that was handled with with caution and care and uh, obviously if they weren't intending to want their image portrayed in there uh, there was the the digital uh, ability to to not have them appear so they wouldn't be recognized so uh, all of those things considered I, I think the, the community recognized that this was a, a great opportunity, not only to to give an understanding of First Nation policing, but also their community, mm. which uh, I have to say is an amazing place. Uh, they're very progressive in, in the things that they're doing with co- commercial development, uh, a very engaged community that takes care of its own. So uh, I see, I think at least they saw all the benefits that came with,
0: with this uh, series. All right, great. Thank you for that. You guys probably have some really interesting conversations within yourselves about some of the things that could happen within a community. When I see, you know, some of the things that are going to be shown, you've got this one about investigating a UFO. Okay, right? Uh, why not? That's you know, it's a, anything and everything is pot- is potentially possible while working on a police force, isn't it? You're right, and, uh, and I would say that probably our officers and staff
3: experience a, a multitude of different things that if you're in a mainstream police service, um, there wouldn't be necessarily Uh, the buy-in from the staff to investigate certain things or to go to certain events only because they're running from call to call. Mm. And because we're very much community centered, we are called to things that ordinarily police officers wouldn't. So you're right. It can, it can range anywhere from um, their dog is lost. Can you help them find the dog? um, Their horse uh, has broken through the fence line. And so the, Mm. the things that we're doing, Uh, are really it could be absolutely anything on any given day and our officers are actually i think appreciative of the fact that they're not just jumping from call to call similar calls that are more uh traditionally based in what a police officer does and i think that's part of the reason why they love working uh, in a service like ours because they do get to experience the the differing type of investigations the calls for service and the community who who has a strong uh, belief. We all know that the history in policing in Canada and Indigenous communities is not a good one. And the trust that needs to be developed and the, the confidence that needs to be gained isn't something that we take for granted. And I think the role that we undertake is very much trying to change the perspective that their experiences might have been previously. So it's it's definitely uh, something that, that the officers and staff enjoy They don't know what they're going to do day to day. And quite frankly, uh, the role of a police officer here is probably very different than if they were elsewhere, what they
0: might have experienced or if they're new
3: to the job. I think they love
0: that. Mm. Mm, right you're listening to element fm this is moment of truth i'm your host david moses and it is a pleasure to have on the show with us today the chief of police for the sutina police force chief keith blake as well as the co-producer and co-director of the third and final season of tribal police files we have with us steve Sweetalt, and it's a pleasure to have him Uh, he uh, steve is from the penelicate tribe Uh, steve whereabouts is that
2: it's uh just right off of vancouver island it's a short ferry ride, about a fifteen minute ferry ride off of Shenanis, near Nanaimo. So it's in the Gulf Islands.
0: Oh, I I should know that. My family uh, live uh, well. They now live on uh, Vancouver Island in the Comox Valley. Uh, I want to get into some of the some of the episodes that uh, people are going to be seeing for this upcoming series. But before I do that, Chief, could you just tell us a little bit more about the community? Can you tell us how large of a community it is? Sure. the The
3: land mass is about 100 square miles. Okay. Um, and when we're looking at our our, our citizens, we've got about 2,300 members here. Yep. Yep. Of course, not everyone that lives here is a, is a nation member. Mm. Uh, but uh, we've probably got a population of about 25 2,600 people. Uh, we have... A multitude of commercial uh, businesses that are here. We have a casino, we have an mm. event center, a hotel. Uh, we are the first First Nation in Canada to have a Costco on our lands. Wow! And there's a, a significant amount of uh, economic development that's occurring here. And we're enveloped uh, by the city of Calgary. So that is both the blessing and a curse mm. because it does afford opportunities that many of our more remote First Nations don't have. But it also introduces a more urban problem to many of the the community uh, situations here. But as I say, they've they've certainly saw what advantages they have from their location. And they're really taking advantage of that through their commercial development, which their hope will sustain uh, generations and
0: generations into the future. Mm, Okay, great. Thank you for that. Uh, okay Steve and now looking forward at this uh, this season third season of tribal police files you've got uh, a number of, of episodes that are going to be airing and uh, they really they really run the the gamut of, of sort of topics uh, starting off with one around cre- credit card uh, fraud and you get into gangs and you you've got this UFO story in there um, as you as you look at and follow uh, the police force around with with the the cameras and the crew that you doing um first of all do you have more than one crew that is following officers around at any one time or is it a single crew that you have going out on a daily and is it a daily basis that you're doing this
2: it, it really varies i think for uh, reference to the crew question we have two separate crews that we're working uh, with in we felt it was important that uh, obviously multiple uh, shift changes and those kind of things to cover off you know, the most parts of the day and the weekends that we thought were fairly active. So it was important that we had, uh, you know, full crews, uh, full two crews that were able to uh, actually follow the officers along to, to these calls. And that's it just seemed to make sense. And it, we got way more viz, uh than, than, you know, obviously we we
0: would like, and it was it was perfect. So it's it's something that it worked for us in season two, and we continue that in season three. Right now, as I said to uh, Chief Blake, um, you know the, the the stories. I can well imagine that take place after a day, uh, uh, you know, at the office for a police officer, in some of the very I mean, I mean it could be very strange, very unusual situations that develop. No,
2: oh, definitely. There's there's always a variety of calls that uh, that's always expected. You would think you'll have more domestic calls than anything in in the series that I've seen, and that was the truth here. Um, And and that continues to happen in in all of our First Nations across the country. And uh, so it's no different here, but, you know, some of the ironic calls you don't expect to hear like the UFO story and, um, you know, the gang question is, Mm. is, you know, they're off the the cusp of uh, the city of Calgary. So it's not surprising. And, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to highlight a little bit of that activity because not a lot of people might not know about that. So to be able to bring that to the forefront and watch the professionalism of the officers in which they handle these kinds of situations was, you know, it was really nice to see from behind the camera.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, of course, the other one that you've got uh, listed down here about no trespassing. You have some, <laughs> you deal with some new tr- sunbathers. <laughs> Well, yeah.
2: I mean, those you, again. You just don't know the variety of calls that you're going to encounter as an officer and as, as a film crew while you're falling around these members. So, it's uh, it's it's always fun and surprising for our crew, and it always gives us something to talk about after you know mm-hmm. the main part of the shoot is done. And mm-hmm. it's it's a delight to watch you know some of our younger crew that go through this and and have that chance to experience what I've experienced as a police officer uh, back in the time to to be exposed to these types of things and watch you know mm-hmm. professionally how things are done. And, and dealt with and taken care of.
0: Now, one of the other things that was mentioned off the top was about how a, a, an Indigenous police force and in a, within a com, uh, community, a First Nation community, how policing is different. Uh, I'd like to ask, uh, Steve, you, in terms of uh, how the treatment of this program is different than, say, it might be within a uh, a non-Indigenous uh, program.
2: Well, I think, that, you know, as I said earlier, I think the whole... Um, guys behind me putting this together was to highlight uh, from a First Nation perspective what it's like to police in a First Nation community and I think that that's really what we do and, I, and how important that is and it is a different way of policing it really is, you're very much part of the community, there's no real way of ducking that if you're not personable and out there and not willing to engage with the elders or go to a sweat or, or just be part of the community then you're going to have some problems in that community so I think it's really important that that members do make the time, the effort to engage with community at community functions, you know, no matter what it is, and um, it, it makes your job as an officer easier. You know, as part of uh, you know a film crew, that you know having that knowledge going into filming for uh, for this series, you know, that's really beneficial for me as as the lead in this in this series to uh, to be able to highlight that um, on a regular basis. And again, it, it doesn't matter what type of call you're dealing with. Um, mm. You know, it's right to the
0: bazaar, uh, yeah. UFO, you just don't know what you're going to encounter. If you're out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to ask both of you this uh, this next question, because we often think about policing, and we know it's a very serious uh, job. There's no question about that. And, and we always think of it in those terms, that it's very serious. But I'm wondering if there's if there's something you guys can share around Heartwarming moment, you know, because I'm sure there's got to be some of those as well within what you do. There's got to be some some really beautiful, uh, really beautiful moments that we don't necessarily hear about in in terms of policing, because we're always seeing the bad stuff out there. You know, it, it's it, there's not one particular thing uh, mm.
3: that that comes to my mind, but I think what Stephen mentioned is is. It's the approach that the officers and the staff take Mm. um, in in First Nation policing. It's about developing relationships. One of the most uh, resounding uh, statements that I heard uh, during my time in the last three years or four years was in indigenous communities, when they were going for the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls inquiry, uh, we had a a great opportunity to speak to the uh, chief chair, Marion Buller. And one of the statements that she brought forward that resonated with me and and, and all of our staff was most uh, First Nation communities feel over-policed and underprotected, hmm. which means that they see the police as coming in on those situations, only those situations uh, when the police are needed and required. And quite often, they're not the best of situations. But what they don't feel is they don't feel protected. And that's a sense that you really understand when you see other models across the country. And I can tell you from uh, from the First Nation Police Service, the self-administered that are doing that work in the communities is is we do appreciate that we need to be there in the good times, the bad times and that relationship that's built is because they see us at their celebrations. They do see us, as Steve said, at the sweats and at the feasts and we're invited to the, the ceremonies and those events in the community and in those families that are truly important. Here, what we do is each and every funeral occurs on the nation is our service officers escort uh, that person who's passed away after coming from the funeral home to the home, uh, to the wake, to the church, and we're there for the ceremonies, we're there for for the wake, and we're there uh, at the burial. And so that's something that, that resonates in the community, that we are there uh, for all the events. And I think that relationship building and that emotional intelligence that, that our officers have uh, really make that or that uh, connection even stronger. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, it, it, it's, I know when, when you look at the series and you'll see that, you, you're going to see that uh, emotional intelligence from the officers where they're really dealing with people at the same level of saying whatever they're going through, they're there to help and they're there to support and they're there to assist. All right. thank you for that. Steve,
0: anything to add?
2: Well, I think the highlight for me uh, in reference to that is, uh, you know, I love working with the elders and mm-hmm. listening to their stories. I mean, mm-hmm. they, most of our elders across the country have been through so much mm-hmm. and have endured so much uh, hardship and racism and uh, challenging times through the residential school and colonial experience. Um, so to be able to sit back and listen to their stories gives me ultra uh, joy. I love meeting with them. I love talking with them. They have so many stories of resilience and uh, empowerment that uh, I think resonates with viewers, especially for ABTN. And that's critically important for us uh, as a filmmaker. And, uh, you know, as a former police officer, that's something that I-, I love doing and visiting with them and learning from them and listening to their stories. We always... Our people are always full of humor and uh, great stories, and they know, they know how to tell them. And that's something that I continue to enjoy to this day.
0: And nicely said, you know, uh, also it reminds me that actually an, an elder from the community is actually utilized in the series because he, he was used to, to translate it into the, uh, the to the language, correct?
2: Yes, definitely. We got Bruce Starlight uh, uh, hired for this series. Who came in and did a beautiful job on the translation into Satana. Um, You know, the guy's a marvel. He he knows his stuff. He knows his language. He knows his people. He's very outspoken and uh, just the kind of person that we need for this type of position. So Mm. uh, it was really great working with him. And uh, of course, we still keep in contact. So um, it's just lovely to have uh, somebody to stature and uh, his experience working for the show.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad we brought that up because, in fact, that is what uh, the series starts with on January 3rd. It starts with that uh, version uh, in the Tatina language, and then on January 5th, it's actually airing in uh, the English language uh, after that. So we're going to have to leave it there, but I want to thank both uh, uh, Chief of Police uh, Keith Blake of the Tatina Police Force, as well as uh, Steve Sweetalt from uh, the uh, production side of the third and final season of Tribal police files that is airing on january 3rd of 2022 guys can you believe that 2022 and congratulations to your success steve on this and uh and looking forward to the other uh, projects you're going to be bringing forward and uh, chief blake we look forward to seeing you on uh, i guess on camera as well as we uh, get into the series starting in the new year thanks david see you guys Thanks so much. Jimmy Chi-miigwech, for taking the time to join us, guys. Take care. And they are the voices of Chief Blake as well as Steve Sweetalt. And you can catch that series coming up on APTN on January 3rd and January 5th. Once in the Setina language and then in the English language on January the 5th. That's this portion of the show. Thanks for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and we will see you right after these messages. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after these messages. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. Today on the program, we're going to be talking about the Acceleration Program. And that is from uh, and through Ontario Creates. And the Acceleration Program is, uh, the objective of that is to invest in new and emerging Black and Indigenous-owned b- music businesses that demonstrate high potential for economic and cultural impact. So pay attention. There is a deadline coming up uh, in January and we're going to be telling you about that and many other things as well. But joining me on the show to talk about that is Aisha Wickham. She is a program consultant in the Ontario Music Office at Ontario Create. So it's a pleasure to welcome Aisha to the show. Aisha, welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And so now, as I just said, in talking about this, uh, the objective of the Acceleration Program, um, there's a couple of things that jumped out at me there. But before we get there, why was it? Why Why was it uh, something that Ontario Creates thought was needed that this kind of program uh, would be a good idea to do at this time?
1: Well, um, Ontario Creates is an agency of the government Ontario that uh, supports the creative industries uh, such as music, book, magazine, film, television and interactive digital media. Um, and it, it has an economic development focus, so it's more focused on company development and there are a number of funding programs that support artists directly Mm. which we do as well Mm -hmm. Um, but what we wanted to do was expand the the music ecosystem to incorporate more more companies in the music space and you know we recognize that systemic racism uh, and other barriers have continued to affect particular communities especially black and indigenous communities and so a targeted program is is new for us but it's one of those Things that we've evolved uh, towards over time in recognition of the fact that targeted investment will result in tangible growth that's measurable. And so we decided to launch this program earlier this year, um, and I'm happy to be here to talk about it.
0: Great. I now what you just said there I want to just clarify what you you identified there was more music companies and this is more business related. So that's really interesting. Um as you just said there are many programs out there supporting the artists. This is sort of the 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 background, the the backbone that supports the artists that you're looking at helping to promote. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. So there's a number of studies and you know anecdotal data about the lack of representation in both in senior management roles in the industry, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as company ownership and entrepreneurship, uh, diversity across uh, BIPOC identities. Um, And and so in terms of uh, us looking at how can we expand that issue, um, expand access to company ownership, um, the fund is really targeted towards businesses that support the artists. So, you know, labels, managers, publishers, concert promoters, booking agents, but also record studio owners, producers, um, owners of podcasts and and original content platforms. We're looking at how can we help the industry as a whole grow and create more opportunities for artists as a result of that.
0: Okay. Now... Having said that, in in what you just identified in terms of the businesses, it, it also says in here in the overview, it says uh, n- n- new or emerging. So how does that fit in with the idea of of what you were just saying?
1: So we're we're looking for entities that have. At least a year of existence Mm -hmm. in terms of being a registered business with a a master business license, which Mm -hmm. is is relatively easy and accessible to attain. Um, Generally, we support incorporated companies and we do encourage that at a a more advanced stage of growth. But for this particular program, a master business license, which is um, showing that you have a registered sole proprietorship or partnership Mm -hmm. and Uh, One year is is what we consider to be new and emerging, but it could be a a company that has uh, quite a track record that has not been eligible to apply for some of our other music programs. We do have a pretty robust uh, program called the Ontario Music Investment Fund, which is a much larger fund that supports the entire Ontario music ecosystem. Um, But we, we do recognize that there are still some stakeholders that are not as included in that ecosystem as we would like. And so we've launched this program to to try to hit at a a broader base of eligible applicants who can then tap in and, and potentially grow to eligibility for our other music programs mm-hmm. or or continue to be su- supported through this program.
0: All right. Now, if people are listening and we've already sparked your interest, if you want to check this out, you can go to ontariocreates.ca and uh, there you can find a list of, of some of these things, including Acceleration Program. Uh, click on that and scroll down and you'll find out uh, more about the, the program as well as it'll lead you to other things like, for instance, the application that you have to fill out as well. Now, the other thing I found really interesting interesting in here that you also are looking for is jurors um to be on here can do you want to talk about that a little bit
1: sure so uh as part of the program design we we sort of reviewed some key areas of what are the important components of how we build this this program mm-hmm. in terms of um you know having transparency and building trust with um with black and indigenous communities and so one of the areas was um, design and accessibility and one of the areas was was seen to be um having an external jury system that would evaluate applications along with the staff at ontario creates through our music our ontario music office and so we're going to be having an open call for for jurors and we're seeking to have um, jurors to evaluate applications from black owned companies as well as jurors to evaluate um, applications from indigenous applicants and. To, ha- to have a Black and Indigenous-led component to the assessment process was seen to be an important component of um, the accessibility and transparency of the program. Mm, okay.
0: Uh, if we That's- have time, I'd like to come back and talk a little bit more about that, about what you're looking for in, in the sure. juror selection, how many and those kind of things. But let's get back to talk a little bit more about uh, the key uh, goals of the program. Uh, as you said, it's a- an enhancing capacity for emerging Black and Indigenous-owned music businesses to strengthen the support of critical stages in their careers of these, uh, as, and well, as well as um, uh, enable the next generation of black and indigenous music industry professionals to create high quality content and re, uh, retain intellectual property ownership and control over their own uh, narratives. Now, in, in the application process, I noticed that uh, it, it also talks about self-identification. Do uh, you want to talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, we recognize many, many companies uh, might be sole owned by one person, but there also could be partnerships with with multiple owners. Mm. Um, so we provide applicants with the opportunity to uh, identify um, how they identify and companies that are owned or businesses that are owned by multiple people uh, must be at least 50 percent owned by Black and or Indigenous uh, representatives. Mm-hmm. And so we provide that as an opportunity for, for self-identification in the application process.
0: All right. Now, the application opens on on December 15th, and um, it's going to be uh, closing on January 26th of 2022 at 5 p.m. And that's a hard deadline, correct? You won't think people have to have applied by that time.
1: That is correct. So, um, up until that date, you can certainly apply sooner than that. Um, As you mentioned, applications do open on December 15th, and we are hosting a couple of information sessions, which you can register for on our website, where we get into uh, great detail of the application process, how much you can apply for, how to structure your application, and a little bit of a walkthrough of the online application portal just to to sort of demystify the the application process and, and to provide a, an opportunity for, for questions to be asked in that forum.
0: But yes, the final deadline is 5 p.m. on January the 26th. Right. And, and if people do have questions, then there is also a contact number for people to call through. Is that correct? And 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 have their questions answered with someone?
1: That's correct. Yes. So we have a, a dedicated email address which is acceleration at ontariocreates.ca we ask people to send their their messages there and you can certainly book a call with me to to talk through the specifics of your situation Mm -hmm. Um, but we definitely really encourage applicants to attend the information sessions to get a really both a high level and and deep dive into what the application process looks like. And then from there, if there's particular questions about your specific business and eligible costs and how to structure your application, um, we will be um, able to book a call to to talk through those things. So you just need to schedule that. um, And we do encourage that to happen at at least two weeks ahead of the deadline, just to give yourself an opportunity to to plan um, and get the answers you need to help you submit the strongest application possible. Mm.
0: Now, as you said, uh, there's information sessions, one on Wednesday, the, December the 15th, and, and that's from 4 to 5 p.m. If you miss that one, there is another one and that is coming up on Tuesday, January the, the 11th, uh, also at 4 to 5 p.m. And uh, there is a registration required for those information sessions. And I'm guessing that if you, uh, yeah, if you click on the registration required, that will take you to Uh, the registration site, correct? That is correct.
1: And I do want to also point out that we will be posting both the uh, PowerPoint slide deck as well as the video from the December 15th information session on our website, just so it's accessible to anybody that might not be able to attend. But if you are able to attend uh, live between 4 to 5 p.m., it it does give you an opportunity to ask questions during the session. So Mm -hmm. either way, you'll be able to see the content from the information session.
0: Right now, the the funding available for this uh, it, it looks pretty substantial. There's there's quite a range. It started with there's a minimum of twenty five hundred and it goes up to, to twenty thousand. I guess that's per applicant. That's
1: correct. So. Depending on the range of activities, there's there's a broad range of types of support that this program will offer Uh, It ranges from business development uh, all the way to operations. So, for example, if if it's a new company that needs some support in in developing a business plan or incurring the costs of setting up a corporate structure and some of the legal uh, pieces that are required for that, maybe you just need three thousand dollars to help you get started on that path. So you, know, you could apply for a smaller amount uh, for a more established company that that has a bit more of a track record and, and can demonstrate uh, the capacity of a, of a larger entity that would be worthy of a $20,000 investment. There is the opportunity to request that amount of money as well. Um, if you're requesting up to $10,000, uh, Ontario Creates can support up to 100% of the funding costs. So you would get an outright uh, grant amount. Um, if you're requesting, if your budget is more than ten thousand, we can support up to seventy-five percent of the of the total costs. So there is a budget template that provides the the breakdown of of how you can structure the activities and costs that you're including and the maximum amount of support that you could receive towards those
0: costs. Right. Now, I I would imagine there might be a question around the 75% for budgets greater than $10,000, for instance. Yeah. So we,
1: we really did try to structure this in a way to provide as, as much flexibility and uh, relevance to the, to the stakeholders as possible. Mm-hmm. So for companies that are newer and might not have a significant amount of revenues. You could apply for a budget of of 10,000 or less and then not have to bring any of your own money or Mm -hmm. in kind Mm -hmm. contributions to the table. Right. Um, And then that, you know, the the goal is to help accelerate. Right. That's kind of how we we landed on that name after much deliberation. (laughs) But the goal is to provide a direct investment to help accelerate the growth. And um, expansion of a, of a company. Right. Um, companies that might have more capacity might already be generating uh, revenues and profit might be able to bring some of their own dollars to the table to add to the investment that Acceleration can offer. And so there's a lane to, to both. Uh, entry points there for for newer companies as well as uh, more established entities
0: right great you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa 106.5 in Toronto 95.7 in Ottawa you can also listen online on the iHeartRadio app and take us with you anywhere you go and it is a pleasure to have Ayesha Wickham here a program consultant with the Ontario Music Office at Ontario Creates we're talking to her about a program that's available up until Uh, January 26th at 5pm. Wednesday January 26th. Great, thank you for that. So the core objective of this Acceleration Program is to invest in new and emerging Black and Indigenous-owned music businesses that demonstrate a high potential for economic and cultural impact. You can find out more by going to ontariocreates.ca There you can scroll down, find out about the Acceleration Program, you can find out also about the application for it, you can find out about the the guidelines, and uh, there's also a section there that they are looking for jurors, and we're going to maybe talk about that a little bit more. But uh, before we get there, uh, I want to uh, thank Asia for being on the show, and also ask her now about what you're looking for in terms of possible outcomes. What do you and what do you anticipate, or what do you think you guys might be looking for uh, as a result of? What applicants will be bringing to the table, and then uh, looking down the road as to what you're hoping this will stimulate.
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, I mean, I think in general we've we've taken a, a two pronged approach to address the the issues of systemic racism in the industry. Mm. One one aim of the um, of the solution is to encourage current companies in the ecosystem. Um, that are quote-unquote mainstream to expand their their access. So we've changed our our metrics in terms of our assessment criteria to encourage a a more intentional approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, And then this approach in in formulating a, a tailored program targeting Black and Indigenous stakeholders is intended to to, as you mentioned, invest directly in high potential uh, businesses to help expand the access to the ecosystem, and then also really to create um, outreach and inclusion, and to broaden our perspectives around the stakeholders that are operating in the in the current industry, but also those that might be able to be to be born as a result of tapping into a new program Mm. and things like um, building trust, um, creating an accessible application form. That's not overwhelming and not requiring uh, too many pieces of documentation that that do serve as barriers for newer entrance into the system. And and really looking at how many applications we can um, welcome into our um, application pool. Mm-hmm. And also to build our networks so that going forward we have a broader base uh, of, of contacts to to talk about Ontario creates programs and help capacity building so that more entrance into our other programs as well will be possible.
0: great you know as I look over the uh, the guidelines uh, and see some of the eligible activities and costs, it certainly looks like you guys have that covered with these eligible activities because there's many things in there I see that are not necessarily supported in other applications uh, for instance staffing and administrative overhead costs that's one that, that jumps out at me there that you don't often see but if we can just run through quickly some of these things the business development uh, capacity expansion professional development courses business planning consultants and accounting and legal services um, is there anything else you can add to that I mean that that's great
1: yeah, that's a pretty broad broad range. We really do want to leave it to applicants to make a business case to us as to what it is that they feel is needed to help get them to that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, again, for a newer newer company that's that's getting getting started and, and looking to maybe um, develop a stronger business structure, might need some help with strategic planning or business planning. Might want to invest in a consultant for that. There's a bit more traction. They maybe want to be able to have a a part-time employee um, to have some sustainability and continuity. So there really is a a broad range. So what you just identified is is a good range of ideas that applicants can keep in mind in terms of how to structure a business development focused application. Um, But we also do support creative development. So, you know, branding, marketing, marketing things that are going to help uh, develop artists that you might have signed to your roster or looking to to work with. If you're a live music entity and you're putting on a festival or series of concerts, it really is a very flexible and uh, open program in terms of the range of activities. And again, we're a new program that's seeking to fill gaps in the funding cycle. Mm. We don't want to duplicate things that are already out there, but we really are trying to create new entrants and help grow um, the music ecosystem as a result of this program.
0: Creative development, as you just pointed out, it identifies recording and production, content creation, production costs for live music events, as you pointed out. But what do you mean then by, because there are some other uh, programs out there that are that also cover recording and production, so how does this fit into that?
1: So we, we again, want to just provide that flexibility to the applicants to support a range of activities. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not making that ineligible, but the objective of the program really is what are the activities that are gonna help your overall company or business to grow? And if you're a new company that's signed an artist and, and want to get some demos out into the marketplace or finish up a first commercial recording, um, those are costs that that certainly are eligible, mm. and it really is up to the applicant to out- articulate how you know creative development is going to translate into business growth. Mm. So even though it's it's it, it could be creative focused in terms of what the spending is going to be for the supported activities, mm-hmm. ultimately the the objective and the, the questions in the application really do guide the applicants as to what we're looking for is. Right if you are undertaking creative costs how is that going to help your company to generate revenue or or build an audience or or gain traction as a business. Right. So everything points back to our core objective as an agency and as a program to support economic development in the province.
0: Right. Great. And then just to identify the rest, marketing and promotion, you did uh, touch on that as well. Brand development, advertising, publicity. That's great to have in there. Uh, strategic business travel and or conference attendance. That's uh, that's nice to have in there for people that uh, may be wanting, as you say, to, to reach out, maybe uh, make some new contacts, uh, attend some education conferences or, or whatever it might be uh, to uh, mix and mingle and, uh, and get uh, the word out about maybe some, some new projects that are going on, etc. And the operation side, uh, being able to you know, provide some support for staffing and administrative and overhead costs, that's, that's really nice to have in there as well. I'm sure people will appreciate that
1: yeah again it's it's really just providing some buckets of categories for applicants to see the range of things that they c- could apply for and then to pick what makes the most sense for where they are in their stage of growth as well as what's going to really hit on the goals of the of the fund in terms of if I invest in this particular activity it's going to help me grow by this amount by this date and really looking to to what are those, um, activities are, that are going to help take that business to the next level.
0: Hmm. Great. Now I want to come back another side to the application because you're asking for jurors. First of all, we did talk a little bit about the jurors. How many jurors are you looking to have sit on this?
1: We're looking to have two to three black jurors and two to three indigenous jurors. Okay. Um, in terms of the overall fund, it's going to be uh, split Evenly between the, the two stakeholder groups, um, we certainly recognize there are distinct needs, distinct histories, and you know distinct ranges of of growth that that both stakeholder groups are are going to experience. Mm. So, um, experienced industry representatives from those communities were encouraging to submit their names for um, consideration as jurors again to to evaluate applications. Uh, with with input from the Ontario Music Creates team, um, typically when we have a an application intake, we do an initial review of the applications for eligibility and completeness, and then we we pass along the the applications to the jurors for a review. We have a an applica- uh, a jury meeting to discuss uh, everybody's assessments and make the funding decisions uh, as a collective. So. Yeah, that's right. the the objective. Two to three jurors um, yeah. for both stakeholder
0: components. And, and of course, there's always the possibility that uh, some of those uh, jurors uh, could be uh, sharing that that black and indigenous history. They could be of mixed heritage, correct?
1: Exactly, that's correct. So we've we've again in the self identification, um, welcome, welcome. All, all of those. Mm-hmm.
0: And and is there specifically something you're looking for from the jurors in terms of applicants to to be jurors? What 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 kind of a uh, uh, profile you're looking for, or what you're looking for out of them in terms of their involvement in in either music?
1: Yes, so broader creative industries as well. Um, but you know, we're looking for individuals who have a track record in the industry that you know, understand how the music industry operates, um, also has a, a sensitivity to an understanding of the um, the barriers and mm. the the issues that have prevented the active participation of Black and Indigenous stakeholders in the industry right. and can sort of assess applications with a sensitivity to that. And, and really looking at um, understanding, you know, What is a a feasible application in terms of what's being put down on the paper and and Mm -hmm. how feasible is that based on the applicant's own track record? So really, we're not we don't have a particular number of years of experience or anything like that. but, Mm -hmm. But we're looking for jurors who do have a background in the industry and can speak to their own lived experience in terms of the lens that they bring to the assessment process. Uh, for this program,
0: okay, great. Is there anything else uh, that we haven't touched on that you feel is important that uh, needs to get out there just as we finish up?
1: We've covered a broad range. Uh, I really appreciate the the in depth um, analysis. Uh, did want to mention jurors. Jurors will be compensated, and that's something that will come through in the submission process. Mm. But overall, um, you know, this is one of the the steps that we're taking in response to. Um, industry realities. Uh, We did a lot of due diligence. We reviewed the National Indigenous uh, Music Impact Study, which is something that our agency helped support the development of and came out in late 2019. So encouraging anybody who hasn't reviewed that to to take a look through through that. And we're really hoping to encourage uh, a broad range of applicants to welcome into our pool. So I think we covered all the bases.
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much for that. And for people that are interested, once again, you can find out more by going to ontariocreates.ca and you're looking for the acceleration program. Uh, You can scroll down, find out everything you need. It's got the the application there. It's got the guidelines. Everything you're going to need to find out. Don't forget the deadline is Wednesday, January 26th of 2022. Oh my goodness, it's just around the corner. By 5 p.m. And decisions, will be announced by March 31st of 2022. So get yourself in there, check it out, see if it's something that you can take advantage of and help yourself and others by doing so as well. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. I thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show and and tell us about this. Thank you for having me, David. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. Aisha Wickham is a program consultant at the Ontario Music Office of Ontario Creates. So check that out. And that is our show for today. It's been a pleasure having you with us right here on Moment of Truth. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element.
2: Element. Element FM.